You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning. Welcome to the show. It's Tuesday, the 10th of May. It's pretty grey and overcast here in TW11 this morning. I am back on home soil after what was a, a pretty exciting trip to Kentucky for the Derby. And no doubt we'll talk more through the next couple of weeks about Rich Strike in his build-up to the Preakness Stakes and what an extraordinary story that has been. But no sooner have we uh, put one Derby to bed than our thoughts turn to the Derby. We have, of course, been talking about Epsom and the road to it and Aidan O'Brien's domination of it in the past week or so. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a few moments' time. But it could well be, if the betting market's anything to go by, that a a doyen, a veteran of many Derby campaigns past, um, starts to add some much-needed clarity to this year's picture if his horse dominates the key trial, the Dante Stakes, at York this week. And York's Dante meeting begins tomorrow, Wednesday, with the Musadora Stakes, a key Oaks trial. Uh, David Yates is newsboy from the Daily Mirror. Uh, Dave, what do you think a, a large portion of the horse racing world, certainly in Britain, are looking for this week and who might provide it? Right, well, they're looking for clarity, which is the word that you've just said. And um, they're looking to Sir Michael Stout to provide it. Yes, I really did just say we're looking to Sir Michael Stout to provide some clarity, uh, not something. I think that it has been his watchword during the many decades of his stellar and storied training career. But we're looking at a horse called Desert Crown, aren't we, who um, a little while ago was a 33 to 1 shot for the Derby, the Kazoo Derby, and he's now down to 6 to 1, second favourite. Now, you might think, well, you know, Sir Michael Stout, multiple Derby winner. Surely this horse is in uh, the right hands. But there are lots and lots of uh, dots to join before I think we get uh, to Desert Crown as a realistic candidate uh, for the Derby. He won a Nottingham Maiden in the final week of the turf season last year by five and a half lengths uh, from Schmilson. Um We've seen in the past, of course, that Nottingham can be the birthplace of champions. In 1985, uh, Slip Anchor won the Derby, and he had started his career at Nottingham. And, and latterly, we've had the likes of Oath, Golden Horn, and last year, Adiar, uh, who had Colic Park on uh, their list of achievements before going to Epsom. But it's, it's absurd, isn't it, really, that a horse who is... Um, a maiden winner and has yet to run in a trial is the second favourite uh, for the Derby. Just from from what we can glean from connections, and obviously in Sir Michael Stout's case, there isn't an awful lot, truth be told. Um, Side to Hale owns the horse. Bruce Raymond told me last week, he said, we think this could be a, a very good horse, but we're not sure that he's going to be ready to be a Derby winner. He said that a few weeks ago, when he had talked on behalf of Saeed Sahail to Sir Michael about uh, the prospect of maybe going for a Derby trial or indeed to go to Epsom, that he was met with that rather uh, dismissive laugh of Sir Michael Stout's. But in the last few weeks, last three or four weeks, that... um, 
that Desert Crown has started to uh, come to himself and that, you know, he's now ready to step out onto a race course. As I say, he, there was there was an element, a strong element in what Bruce Raymond said to me of, well, we, we think he will be very good. Whether he's going to be very good on uh, June the 4th is another matter entirely. But we'll see. I mean, if you've got the 33 to 1, uh, about Desert Crown for the Derby, you're probably sitting reasonably pretty. If you're thinking of backing him at six to one this morning, then uh, I suggest that you take up uh, crochet or indeed croquet or anything else. But uh, for goodness sake, stop betting. As I say, it's it's weird that uh, Sir Michael Stout is adding clarity to the Derby waters. And let's face it, Nick, one of the reasons that Desert Crown is so short uh, for the race at the moment is that the waters are yeah unusually opaque uh for the 10th of may you know yes we have got the dante which we're used to calling uh, the premier derby trial i'm not sure it's got quite um it, it hasn't got quite uh the the cachet that it had before aiden o'brien came along i think that's Fair to say. So Michael Stout's won it six times. Of course, he's won the Derby five times. But thus far, there isn't a standout horse. On Sunday, Luxembourg came out and then within half an hour, Stone Age had, had galloped to a, another five and a half length victory uh, in the, the Group 3 Derby trial at Leopardstown. And suddenly he was, uh, he was seen as the Messiah. Well, the reason for that is that thus far, we've looked at the Derby trials, we've lost Luxembourg and Aidan O'Brien has won most of them, but there hasn't been one horse that has caught the public imagination. So the uh, the racing public and the racing press will look to the Dante Stakes on Thursday at York and uh, we will seek to greet Sir Michael Stout like some long lost uncle back in uh, the big time after a very tough personal uh, time over the last few years. And of course, uh, he's less of a presence at uh, the, the top level in British flat racing. We'll, we'll look to him fondly like a lost uncle. Uh, whether he returns those sentiments remains to be seen. Well, in my quest to find out a little bit more about Desert Crown, I thought I'd go right back to the the beginning. This is a, a cult by by Nathaniel. It's an old Judmont Farms pedigree, you know, three or four generations back. But yeah. the horse was bred by by Strawberry Field Stud. Their stud manager, Stuart Miller, you might have just heard there, joins me joins me now. S- Stuart, just tell me a little bit about um, the the pedigree of this horse. How how you and, and owner Gary Robinson came by the by the mare, and 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 sort of what you thought of this cult. From from the early days, well, I mean, uh, Gary had the uh, the mare with Chris Wall uh, back before with his old partner Basil White. Uh, they purchased the mare. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was she, she had a decent race performance. They think that she was probably better than she showed on the track. Uh, I mean, she's a very <clears throat> she's a very tough mare, and she seems to instill that in her in her offspring. So, so tell me a little bit about about Desert Crown. Where did he sit in terms of how many offspring she'd had, or or, or whatever, and 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 what did you think of him as a as a foal? I mean, he's our sixth. Uh, obviously, you've got Rosebury, who is very tough. I mean, I mean, they've all won everything that's seen the track has won. Uh, yeah, he's uh, as a as a as a foal. I mean, he was he stood out. 
uh, he was slightly backward uh, coming into prep, but then he really started to flourish, and he was just a real, a real nice. I mean, he was he was a standout in book two at the sale, you know. And and he, you took him to the full sale, didn't you? Or you were intending to take him to the full sale, and, and he didn't make it, and, and he ended up, as you say, being a Tattersall's book two yearling. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, we just I mean, looking at him as a full, we just we just knew he would make an outstanding yearling. Uh, and the decision was taken that it would be far more valuable to us to sell as a yearling. So when did you get an indication that he was he was above average? Have you been getting sort of messages uh, all along the way? Oh, from, from when he's in training, you mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, we've, we've heard murmurs. Uh, and obviously, clearly, over the last few months, the word's finally out. Uh, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you could be even from at the sales, you could tell. You know, he was, he, there was something about him. He's got that attitude, and even through prep as well for the sales, he really he showed a certain level of attitude that he would be highly trainable, and physically he had all the attributes as well. And is the is the mare still still going? Oh yeah, yeah, she's only thirteen. So uh, and she's just she just foaled his full brother. Uh, she's back to Nathaniel this year as well. So it's clearly a it's a mix of works. She just had a lovely full, lovely colt. Now I do realise that we can get very excited. This horse has just won a maiden race, but if if we're getting excited, um, it, it must be palpable at, at your stud, isn't it? That you might you might just have something a bit special on your hands. I mean, absolutely. When, when you see one of your horses go out and, even, and when you, even a maiden by that distance, I know it's quite a well-regarded maiden. Uh, a lot of good horses have come out of the race, but yeah, it's, I mean, it was yeah outstanding performance. I think. So the Derby Dream is alive for all you guys. <laughs> yeah, Danny to deal with first. <laughs> uh, enjoy York this week. Thanks so much for chatting to me. Hopefully we'll catch up again later in the year. Thank you. Stuart Miller there, breeders of Strawberry Field, Sud and a tangible excitement ahead of uh, the horse that they bred Desert Crown's bid to win the Dante Stakes, perhaps en route to the Derby. Right, Dave, you've been in Ballydoyle yesterday talking to Aidan O'Brien. Prior to that, you were at, at Leopardstown on Sunday quite a lot to get through here just try and praise it as best you can right well let's start with um the number of runners it looks as though there are going to be six of them in the derby for Aiden O'Brien or, or at least up to six we've got changing of the guard Chester Vars winner these are all winners uh star of India D stakes uh obviously Stone Age trial stakes is no longer the Derrinstown. so that's three uh United Nations so that's for the Lingfield Derby trial winner. And we've also got Bluegrass, who potentially, who of course takes on Desert Crown in the Dante at York on Thursday. And also Point Lonsdale. I thought he was the most interesting, uh, perhaps that Aidan O'Brien said stuff that maybe we weren't expecting to hear. Uh, this horse, of course, uh, was a, a, a top-class two-year-old before uh, his, in, his, uh, his career as a two-year-old was curtailed in, in high summer behind uh, Native Trail. Now, he ran 10th in the 2000 Guineas and, you know, let's face it, in, in the immediate aftermath of the Derby, it was Luxembourg who was the, the horse who was going to win the race for Valley Doyle in the, in the minds of many, not all people, um, on the strength of that third in the 2000 Guineas. But O'Brien was apt to stress and he, he did make a point of stressing. Uh, Point Lonsdale had a long time off as a result of his season being curtailed, um, that 
they were expecting him to take a massive step forward in the derby uh, as, as uh, sorry as a result of uh, his comeback Frankie Tory had said that he would be a horse who would prosper for middle distances and so factoring all those things if there were if there were one horse among the sextet that you thought right well this horse will uh, outrun his odds uh, for Epsom it would be Point Lonsdale um elsewhere he you know you're, we were it, it was it was strange at the Curra uh, sorry at Leperstown on on Sunday because we were expecting I think to write obviously the result of the of the derby trial I think most of us thought that there wouldn't be any immediate news about Luxembourg and so we were looking for for lines yesterday with regard to questioning of, of Aidan O'Brien I thought the the principal one that came out Point Lonsdale aside was that he thought it would be uh, hard for Ryan Moore to desert the favourite um, Stone Age, which I think is is probably right. It's not as if Stone Age is a is a, an odds-on favourite for the race. I think he's now down as a, a general two-to-one shot. Um, we were talking off air, and and I think both of us thought that of the remainder, changing of the guards was the most impressive winner uh, in the Chester Vars. So, and and as you would expect with Aiden, he, you know, you say to him, you know, God, you got you got five of the first seven in the Derby uh, anti-post betting. Surely, Aiden, you know, it's coming to Ballydore for a record ninth time this year. And of course, as you would expect, uh, the trainer played down questions like that. But those were the those were the main things that I think to come out of it. The fact that uh, they would he's likely to run six, depending on how Bluegrass. Uh, runs on Thursday. He expects Ryan Moore to ride Stone Age. It, it doesn't look that there'll be any like there'll be any any pacemakers. It's not going to be one of those sort of rather messy races where one or two of them shoot off into a uh, a twelve length lead. And you know, w- w- he said that each of the each of the horses or, or some of them have. Uh, run styles that means they're likely to go forward anyway uh, and so that's where we are Ryan Moore on Stone Age he thinks and up to six horses in a bid for a record ninth kazoo derby okay let's talk about the Musadora Stakes tomorrow which is sponsored by Tattersalls that's at York it's an Oaks trial it's a good looking race and we had a, a very impressive maiden winner at Sandown and Emily Upjohn she'll start favorite for this race and I would expect her to win again, Dave. Is there anything that you've seen that suggests otherwise? Well, I mean, Life of Dreams is in there as well. And she was impressive first time up at uh, Newbury last month. We didn't see Life of Dreams as a two-year-old. So I don't think it's a one-horse race. I mean, there's um, there's a lot of hype about Emily Upjohn and the Sandown win, isn't there? Because Frankie got off and, and said, wow, afterwards, and, and not many uh, not many horses, not many fillies give him uh, that sort of feeling uh, when they win races at three-year-olds, at, at, as three-year-olds at, at this point in their career. She's obviously very promising. As I say, I think, I think life's a, Life of Dreams uh, is also promising. We've got the once-raced winner, Luna Dorada, from Rafe Beckett as well, and... Aidan O'Brien runs at the Algarve. But yeah, it, I, it certainly looks as though Emily Upjohn is a, is a, a strong favourite for this, day, this race. Uh, John Gosden has, has uh, attempted a bit of expectation management, I think, but the, the initial quotes after Sandown, so, uh, Sandown are, are the ones that are still uh, ringing out. So 
she will be a short price favourite to keep her unbeaten record. Of course, uh, she won not at Newcastle, like some of the uh, the Gosden two-year-olds, but also on to Pater at Wolverhampton in November, in November. So we might be hailing Dunstall Park as the uh, birthplace of champions soon. Birthplace of champions, exactly. Wolverhampton. Well, oftentimes I just try and catch a trainer in good form who's got a, an important runner this week. There's no trainer in better form than Owen Burroughs. Three of his last four horses have won. They're absolutely storming this season. Uh, and Owen's got Minzal, a very exciting sprinter, back in the Duke of York Stakes. Uh, York tomorrow. This looked a tremendous two-year-old, and he was particularly impressive at York, Owen. To what extent was that a, a driver in going back their first time this season? Um, well, just, you know, obviously it made sense. Um, speaking to the team, it, you know, it was the obvious race which stood out. Um you know, he was very impressive there in the gym crack and timing wise, it, you know, sets up nicely to head to Royal Ascot. So, uh, yeah, fortunately, I've had a, had a good run with him and, um, yeah, looking forward to getting him back on the track. Oh, well, we only saw him twice last season. He flashed all his ability again, but I guess you could never really get a clear shot at the target with him. No, exactly. He, you know, he, it's been uh, well said that he, he injured himself in the box sort of the end of the year before. And, you know, I didn't get him back till or probably the end of that summer, you know, summer last year. And, um, yeah, so we, we were, you know, we were very pleased with how he ran at Ascot first time up, but literally, you know, had to go back two weeks later on Champions Day. And, you know, I thought it was a, you know, very creditable performance to, you know, still be placed from such a, you know, interrupted preparation. So, um, touch wood, we've had a good run with him. He stayed with me all winter. Uh, physically, he's done very well. Um, so, yeah, fingers crossed. Uh, you've got... Uh a few interesting assignments lined up for him later in the year, as you were saying, particularly Royal Ascot. When he was a two-year-old, although he won over six furlongs, he showed such brazen pace. I, I wondered whether he'd be just as effective at five. What's your What's your feeling about him now as an older horse in that regard? Um, just look, you know, again, last year, he just lacked a little bit of gate speed last year. Um, hence why... You know, I thought Champions Day, if he'd been able to jump with him, you know, he's only beaten a couple of lengths. Uh, and this is something I feel, you know, will just come with racing. So whether or not once he starts to to break on terms with these top sprinters, you know, we, we possibly could look to, to go five. But just at the minute, um, yeah, we, we've decided on the six. So, look, yeah, I know we started him at Ascot's over five last year, but that was because we, you know, we were under pressure a bit to get him on the track to give him a prep run. And obviously, you know, he didn't, didn't disappoint. He ran a, you know, very good race. Uh, Hookham is uh, in the Coronation Cup at Epsom. We're not going to be too far away. Is that, is that still the target for him? Yeah, look, we're, you know, he's, he's in good form. He's come back to from Dubai. You know, I've been very pleased with him. So, yeah, we're look, looking at the coronation. Um, like probably every trainer in the country, I'd like to see a drop of rain. Um, and, yeah, we'll, we'll, you know, have a chat with the team. They've obviously got a few few in it still. Um, you know, and then there's obviously Ascot as well the Hardwick which he was placed in last year and also the Grand Prix de Saint-Cloud a couple of weeks after 
Um, so, yeah, there's a few options for him. So um, I'm not going to say he's definitely going to the coronation, but that's where we're aiming at the minute. You were for so many years assistant to Sir Michael Stout. We began this podcast today talking about whether he might be able to shine a light on the derby picture this week with a once race maiden winner. That must that must bring back old memories for you, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, um, yeah, there was a certain workforce that was very similar. Uh, one is uh, novice at Goodwood as a two-year-old, impressively. Um, and then actually, I've obviously got beaten the Dante. Um, I think he was the first horse to get beaten the Dante then, to then go on and win the Derby. So, yeah, I'd be interested in watching this horse because, you know, I hear the vibes are very good. Um, he was very impressive at Nottingham last year. So, yeah, look, there'd be no no better man to, to know the score with a Derby horse. And, um, yeah, I wouldn't worry too much. Even if he got beat, he could still go to Epsom and get the job done. Yeah, did you find, I mean, did you find the strike rate of thought to be good and actually good was what was pretty was pretty reliable when you were at Freemason yes yeah yes yeah I think so yeah yeah I'd have to agree yeah yeah um yeah he had a he's yeah had a certain eye for a horse which you know like workforce for instance he was a big raw you know unfurnished you know he went around Goodwood that day and won I can't I think he won three four lengths impressively but you know the boss said then that's enough that'll do him you know um, and look, there was, if I remember rightly, he might have had the odd little niggle and we were playing a bit of catch-up before York. But uh, yeah, as I say, he, you know, he always looked a very good horse at home. Um, and uh, yeah, as I say, I wouldn't be too worried if, he, if this horse didn't win the Dante. He could still get the job done at Epsom. Trainer Owen Burrows there on Minzal. It goes in the Duke of York tomorrow. Hookham, who has a Coronation Cup engagement. God, that could be some race, couldn't it? Hookham, AR. Pile driver and and plenty more, uh, and and of thoughts on his former governor, Sir Michael Stout. Right, there is an audacious classic double being attempted by trainer George Bowie, uh, owners Highclere Thoroughbred Racing, with the one thousand guineas winner Cachet, who goes to the Pool des de Pouliches uh, Lanchon on Sunday. The last filly to win both races technically was special duty, but she had to be promoted in the stewards' room. Um, prior to that, the, the last horse to win both races by passing the post in front was none other than the mighty Miesque. Now, I'd suggest that Cachet doesn't have a, a field quite as strong as the one Miesque had to face Dave, and I'd say she's got a pretty decent chance of doing what Mother Earth couldn't quite do last year and win both races. Yeah, as you say, there, there have been a few that have tried uh, and failed. Mother Earth, uh, Finscale Bear in, in recent years, and... Yeah, it looks that way, doesn't it? The the um, the victory at Newmarket at the beginning of this month. Uh, we've talked about the the achievements for uh, George Bowie. It's it would be thirty five years um, if that doesn't make you feel old. I don't know what will. Miesk's um, double was in nineteen eighty seven, and um, yeah, it's it's a it's a difficult one to pull off this. But uh, George Bowie has already showed himself i think showed himself in in what three years with a license that he's well i'm going to say destined to dine at the top table but let's face it um he's already there so um yeah it's a it's a bold bid this one but it's certainly uh one that uh that i wouldn't dismiss the uh the sight of of the members of the uh the um highclere thoroughbred racing wildflower syndicate 
jumping around in celebration at Newmarket was a sight to behold. I, I wonder how uh, race goes at, at Paris Longchamp would take to it. Well, that seems a, a very appropriate note on which to head around the Bloodstock world with our friends at Weatherbees, who, by the way, have recently launched Bloodstock Pro, a platform that's a great bespoke new management and communications tool for stud farms, breeders, trainers and owners. And I say this is a, a timely check-in with Fiona Craig, longtime Bloodstock advisor to Moy Glare and the Hafner family, because, Fiona, you potentially you might be taking on cachet this weekend with... Uh, homeless songs for, for Dermot Weld in the Pool des des Pouliche? Possibly not. <laughs> well, I think the ground is very fast in um, France this weekend and there's no rain forecast. And um, I think possibly we may have to adjust for the Irish guineas. Okay, so is that is that really the driver with her? It, it's, it's, she's, she's ready to rock and roll, but it's just a question of getting a bit of cut in the ground. Yes, it is. It doesn't even, she doesn't even need cut. I just don't think... We, we ran our mother on very firm ground in the um, oh, in the Irish Guineas, and she didn't run again for ten and a half months. Nothing for... just got very jarred. And I think because it's a long season, and this is early on, she doesn't need soft ground. She doesn't even need, really need cut. She just needs good, good ground. And I think we'll get that in Ireland, whereas the forecast for Paris is extremely hot and sunny all week. And I think the ground there is already quite fast. So that was really the reason for Newmarket, and it's probably the reason for France. So it's already been a it's already been a pretty productive a productive week for for you because Thoughts of June won the the Cheshire Oaks last week, and she's she's a ten to one shot now for the Oaks. Did it come as a, a surprise to you that you were able to turn the tables on on Joseph's filly? Not really, because we knew she'd stay, and I think the ground was probably an advantage. The ground there, obviously. The, with the rain i think the ground was an advantage to her and i think also she'd improved and she is a galileo and you might be represented at york this week you've got search for a song and and kiprios potentially in the in the yorkshire cup is that the plan for either or both we'll have one of them <laughs> i think 10 o'clock today will determine which one one will go for the savile beg in leopardstown and one will go to york but two smart stairs, again, from a, a, a terrific yes. family. Yes. I think in an ideal world, they won't run against each other again. But I think the vintage crop was the first race for both this year. And I think probably, you know, it, it's not an ideal situation to run a brother and sister against each other, I don't think. So I think we'll try and keep them separate. And I think that will be fine. Hence, 10 o'clock today will determine which one goes which place. So. What do you think the secret has been uh, to developing such a sustained and successful operation since since 1962? Well, I think firstly, it's interesting. I mean, I've looked at the bloodlines over the years. It's interesting what's lasted and what hasn't lasted. Um, I think Mr. Hafner himself bought some very good. He bought very good race mares, but he bought some very well-bred good race mares. Now they didn't all succeed. Actually, some many of the American ones didn't, but. Some of the early European mares that were bought there didn't go on. But it's just, I think it's just, it's possibly a little bit the way they're raised. And we've been lucky that some of the lines, some of the mares he produced have been very good filly producers. And 
if you don't get fillies, no lying can go on. And I think as long as you get fillies, and ever so often you get one that runs and produces, a line can build up. Now, they've obviously become very Europeanized. They, they maybe started off, he loved American racing and he loved the speed of American racing. So when he went to purchase back in the 70s, what he tended to buy were those very good American race mares. And I think they've become anglicized, Irish-sized over the years, but through the use of Irish stallions. But there's still sometimes, there's still some lines that prefer top of the ground. There's still some lines that show that bit of speed. And it's probably going back to that. But it all comes down to whether the mares have fillies or not. And, and yeah, you look back through the list of, of wins and people in Europe will remember yeah, definite article and refuse to bend and yes. loads of good horses and classic winners. Yes. But um, yes. yeah, to me still, I don't, I don't think you know, Dermot World will ever do anything as, as special as as training a winner of a, an American Triple Crown race and go and go. And it's he's a, still the only one. Yeah. And he's still the only one, go and go. And, a, and again, a superb taking it on Michael Canaan ride, you know. I think the American jockeys just sat there and thought there's this loony from Ireland. He didn't. He, he knew the horse stayed. So the horse had won the Laurel Futurity. They, they, they brought him over for the Laurel Futurity, which in those days was on, was on the grass, and it rained torrents. And so it was taken off the grass, and I think they were there, so they decided to run anyway. And that was when it became apparent that the horse would go on dirt. And I think then, soon after that, it was then, right, we'll go for an American race. And they knew he stayed, and I think probably outstayed the American horses, and also he didn't mind the dirt. Uh, Mr. Hafner himself was obviously a, a remarkable man. He lived to the age of 101, uh, passed away in in 2012. Um, you sort of gave an indication as to what made him tick in terms of the sort of pedigrees he liked and the horses he liked. But where did his enthusiasm for doing it in the first place come from? I think he was, I think his, his parents are missionaries in Switzerland. And I think there was a link to, I've asked Ava this quite often. And I think there was a link to, they had a farm and they had horses. And I think he was a great sportsman. He, he enjoyed sports of many types. And really the, the, the advent to ride came his doctor advised him. He had a stomach complaint and his doctor advised him probably in the late 50s, early 60s to ride. And being Walter Hafner, he didn't just hack around a few hills. He started show jumping. And then from show jumping, he got into racing. And he was actually the Fugenci champion amateur of Europe in 1963. And how 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 safe and secure is this is this legacy? I I did interview his daughter over at, yes, uh, at, at on Irish Champions Day. I think it was two years two or three years ago, maybe just before. You, but, you, um, yeah, just before the pandemic. And Misha, Ava's Ava's children, so his grandchildren. Yeah. Yes, and and they seemed they they seem really enthused by it. It's, it's obviously a passion that he's passed on. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Ava, Ava has been around about 15 years now. You know, I mean, everyone forgets that they all work. Ava works, Misha works, Kiara works. And so they come when they can. But yes, no, I think it is. And I think, you know, certainly Misha, he has a um, quite a decent winning hurdler. And he uses Mr. Hafner's original colours, which were the blue and white stripes. And Kiara uses the, what were called the Irish colours, the green, gold and white. And so they've all had a few horses and I think they enjoy it. They certainly enjoy Moiglaire. And I think, again, it's just something that, you know, they're only in their 20s now. So it's something as time goes on, I would hope that they would enjoy and become more involved in. 
and I know it was a big passion of, of Dr. Hafner's to sort of try and reinvest and put back into Irish racing. I mean, I, I look at a sponsorship like the Moyglare Stakes. I think, I, I think it's one of the longest race sponsorships in the world, isn't it? I would imagine so, because it's a single sponsor. It's it's There being 49, it's the 50th running at the Curragh and Irish Champions Weekend this year. And that's quite a feat when you think about it. It's gone from being won by Millie Whiteway in 1973 and you know it's it's and it's running for its 50th time yes I, I nobody's come up with another one um i think somebody said there was one in australia but i i don't it's been a group one now since 1983 it started off as a conditions race then a listed race then a group three then a group two but it, it's you know it, it, it it's now going on for what is it almost 40 years as a group one and that says something for it and I, I can't leave this conversation without a nod to someone who rode so many winners in, in those black, white and red colours, the late, the late Pat Smullen. Um, he seemed to have so, so much success for you. Well, you know, it was, it was a 25-year relationship. He's an integral part of Moy Glare and always will be. You know, you can't, you know, you can't look at a picture of a Moy Glare winner without seeing Pat there. And, you know, it's, it's obviously very bittersweet at times, but um, he was an integral part and had a lot of input as he, years went by, more and more input. Some of it quite abrupt input, as you can imagine. But um, no, he'll, he'll always be a part of Moyclair and always be a part of everyone's heart that's involved with Moyclair. And it, it's clearly an, an operation that has a, an incredible, um, incredible soul. Really, I can hear it in your voice. It's something that that you know. I know you've been involved for a long time, but it's it's not just about you know trying to win loads of races and make lots of money. It's 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 something deeper than that. It's got a it's got a, a real soul to it. Yeah, and that's why you know Ava has a great. Ava came to the place quite a bit when she was young. And I think, as she says, it's really not changed. And I mean, it doesn't need to change. We've got big fields, lots of grass, nice buildings. I mean, the buildings were put together, oh, back in the very early 60s. Eric Miville, a Swiss man that Mr. Hafner met, he, he laid the stud out. And really, there's been the odd addition since, but not a lot. I mean, the stud is as it was laid out in the early 60s. And it functions well. And it's, it's, if, you, if you let the stud do what it can do, it breeds good horses. I mean, you know, as you as you well know, to win races in Ireland, they have to be hardy these days. This is my opinion, and I race a lot of places. It's the toughest place to win a race in the world. But if you do win a race, you know then that you've got a chance. You've got a good horse. And I think that's it. That's that's the key to Moy Glare. It's probably because it was in Ireland and it's had to compete. And the standard of racing now is so much higher than it was 30 years ago. But you have to compete and you have to keep up because if you don't keep up and you don't compete, you don't last. Well, fascinating stuff there from Fiona Craig, longtime Bloodstock advisor to the Hafner family and, and Moy Glare Stud. And the key news line there is that Homeless Songs, unless there's significant rain, looks very unlikely to take her chance in the Pool d'Essay de Pollution, may wait for the Irish Guineas. Now, you know that we've been teaming up on this podcast with the microshare syndicate My Racehorse, who've had great success in America, having won the 2020 Kentucky Derby with Authentic. And this flat season have launched in Britain and Ireland, as we've been telling you, uh, syndicated with Andrew Balding and horses in training with John Gosden and Joseph O'Brien. Now, syndicated was a very promising third at Newmarket at the Guineas Festival. And with improvement uh, expected, it's quite possible the son of Dubawi could head to Royal Ascot. Now, as an owner with my racehorse, you'll receive regular updates on your horse via their own app, as well as the, as the opportunity to go racing and to your trainer's yard to watch your horse on the gallops. And the owners of Syndicated will be invited to Andrew Balding's historic and beautiful Park House stables next week 
and it's not too late to join so you can get on that tour to Park House to see Syndicated. One-off payment. For more information, you can go to myracehorse.com. Now, Dave Yates still with me and has a tip for you for today. We go to Beverly for the 410 race. Nick, the Westwood handicap and number 10 Gibside. Second start in handicaps yielded a second over course and distance eight days ago. Same mark here. I think there's more improvement to come and off a modest mark. I hope that Gibside can go one better. 410 race at Beverly selection number 10 Gibside. Now, Dave, I know you've been a huge supporter of the National Horse Racing Museum, and I want to draw your attention to the Munnings exhibition, which begins on the 28th of May and runs to the 12th of June, A Life of His Own. And every day this week, we'll be telling you the story of, of one of the paintings in the, in the museum. Um, the British Impressionist horse-loving work is, is beautifully covered here, and today's painting that we're featuring is Lord Derby's Horses, Hyperion and Fairway, with their grooms Chinnery and Kane in 1938. Uh, it's inscribed lower left, uh, A.J. Munnings' private collection. In '38, Munnings was commissioned to paint two champion sires owned by Edward Stanley, the 17th Earl of Derby, at his woodland stud in Newmarket, and he vividly described the experience in his autobiography. The stud farm where Hyperion and Fairway dwelt in adjoining boxes, if it were advertised in a journal read by horses, might be described as a large two-roomed flat on the ground floor in ideal surroundings. Now, Munnings enjoyed painting him and described him as a beautiful little horse, not an Araby head, but he was far beyond the average horse in intelligence. Chinnery, his man, adored him and looked upon him as a brother and Hyperion's career embraced massive wins the New Stakes the Dewhurst the Prince of Wales the Chestervars the Derby the Ledger before going on to a stellar stud career and that picture will be on the Twitter feed today do make sure you get along to the National Horse Racing Museum for the Munnings exhibition more of that a little bit later in the week. We'll also be featuring stories from York tomorrow, Thursday and Friday. Uh, Tom will be with you the next couple of days. Then I'll be with you from York later in the week. I hope you've enjoyed the show, but from all of us here today, bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Thank you.